On this episode of the London Lyceum, we talk with Dr. Bo Branson and Skylar McManus about the doctrine of the Trinity. We cover topics like what is the Trinity, what is their understanding of the Trinity, which is oftentimes given the nomenclature of Eastern because of their source features of people like Basil and others. What does Dale Tuggy's Unitarian view uh, get right and get wrong? And where does that go off the rails? Uh, I think the episode's great. And if you have thoughts about the episode or ideas or requests for the show in general, you can hit us up Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can email us, contact at thelondonlyceum.com, or you can check us out on, on, our, on the web at thelondonlyceum.com. And now for the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other host, Brandon Askew. And today I'm really looking forward to talking to um, one of a, an, an old guest, uh, Skylar McManus, and then a new friend, Dr. Bro Branson, uh, about the Trinity and all the things related to that, as well as we did an interview with Dale Tuggy recently that you guys, I think, dropped like two weeks uh, before this one does. and. I imagine some people would probably think we were overly charitable to him, and that's fine. Um, I, I think he's a really nice guy. I think there are some major disagreements that we have, and I think we're going to draw some of those out uh, from talking to both Bo and Skyler and understanding, because they've done a lot of interaction with him more than I have. Um, I think more than a lot of people have, they've done a lot of interaction on that front. So I'm looking forward to understanding, number one, I guess, how they understand the Trinity, because it seems like there's a couple different models out there. Um, and I don't know if I totally am super familiar with how they've understood the Trinity. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then secondly, talking a little bit about Tuggy's understanding of the Trinity and his understanding of uh, doctrinal development, things like that. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, guys, bef- before we jump in, Skylar, I know you've been on the show before, so I'll give you the chance just to kind of reintroduce yourself for somebody who's maybe a new listener who hasn't uh, listened to your previous episode. Give us quick bio of yourself and how you got into the topic. And then, uh, Bo, I'll let you introduce yourself before we jump in. Yeah, well, on our previous episode, and I'm glad to be back with you guys, we discussed oneness Pentecostalism, which I actually grew up in. And about uh, two years ago, we left the oneness movement. And relating to this topic specifically, right around that time, I mean, maybe... A couple of weeks or maybe a month after I, I left Oneness, I discovered some presentations that, that Bo had done on the monarchy of the Father and talking about the Eastern Orthodox view of the Trinity. And I just got fascinated by that. I had never really heard that perspective before. And um, I actually had been a longtime listener of Dr. Tuggy as well. So it was really interesting to hear uh, Bo's perspective on that and also see how he was he was responding to, to Tuggy as well. So uh, yeah, I'd, other than that, I, I live in the Northwest with, with my wife and two kids, and it's been a little crazy the last few months around here is probably in, anywhere for everybody. So glad to be back with you guys. Well, I'm Bo Branson. I uh, teach philosophy out here in Kentucky. Um, I... Uh, I actually grew up Baptist um, for a little while. I, I was into Messianic Judaism and stuff for a little while, and I almost converted to Judaism at one point. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> and around that time, I, I um, uh, kind of got interested in Eastern Orthodoxy. I just sort of found out about it, and I, I ended up uh, becoming Orthodox maybe 20 years ago or so. <clears throat> and um, that was really what got me interested in the Trinity uh, in the first place, because, I mean, obviously, as a Baptist, we all affirmed the the Trinity, but we didn't really talk about it a lot in my church. It was just something that kind of came up here and there, um, and I just kind of never really thought about it in any detail. But in the Orthodox Church, it's, it's pretty inescapable. It's just kind of the Trinity is everywhere all the time, every service, like a hundred times you'll hear in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I had to start kind of thinking through that. And that was about the time I, I started studying philosophy and classics <laughs> and Greek. Um, and uh, I think I just got like I 
I just really wanted to understand it. And so I kind of kept at studying philosophy and ancient history and getting better in my Greek and so forth. Um, and that was just uh, ended up what I just being what I decided to do in grad school is do a dissertation on the Trinity. Um, so that's kind of my story. That's good. Cool. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to join us. I guess we can just go ahead and maybe jump right into interacting mm-hmm. with some of Dr. Tuggy's uh, comments. So <clears throat> when he was on with us, he, he said that there were three um, narratives of the Trinity and then he claimed that there is no Trinitarian uh, theology in the first three centuries of the church. So I want to maybe start there and get your um, your response to that claim. Um, it's up to you guys who mm-hmm. wants to take a shot at that bow if you want to. Um, sure. If you want to answer that first and then Scholar, if you have anything to add, you can jump right in as soon as Bo wraps up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he calls them, I think, the Catholic narrative, which is really— um, I guess I would describe it as sort of a naive view that like Christians have just kind of always believed in the Trinity just the same way they do now, you know, was there to begin with or something. Um, and there was just like no development at all. Then he calls his view the Nicene development narrative. And he ended up calling mine the Western misunderstanding narrative. I think, he, I think originally he called it the Western fall and corruption narrative. And someone complained about that. So he changed it. But the the reality is, uh, so my view doesn't really have anything to do with the West in particular, um, and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with any misunderstandings. So it's it's a little bit of a of a misnomer, uh, in my opinion. the The way to to kind of contextualize it all is, uh, I think he mentioned, if I recall, uh, his podcast one eighty nine, which is this uh, argument. the The heart of the argument is just sort of um, clearly in the New Testament, the word God refers to the Father. Um, there's you know a bunch of places where it's kind of ambiguous, and there's maybe a handful of places it refers to Jesus, but like 99% of the time looks like it refers to the Father. And then his next premise is just sort of, by definition, uh, any form of Trinitarianism identifies God with the Trinity and not with the Father. And so then it just follows from that that, you know, it's not biblical. My only real concern was kind of to respond to that argument and to say, well, sure. I mean, I I admit, like, I think all academic theologians, as far as I know, like admit that in the Bible, the word God refers to the Father. um, But there are perfectly orthodox formulations of the doctrine of the Trinity that would identify God with the Father. Um, and that you you see that, of course, in the in the pre-Nicene church fathers. But my point was that you see it post-Nicaea um, uh, in the West still, you know, up until Augustine. And Augustine is really the first person to start just saying that the Trinity is the one God. Um, and in the East, even further up than than that. And it kind of takes a while before that usage becomes sort of standard in the West and it becomes more and more common in the East. But even in the East up until, I mean, you can find councils in the 1200s where they're identifying the one God with the father and and so forth. So, um, and you know, whether that represents a misunderstanding or just a difference in, in usage, I don't really um, take any stand on, but, um, but it's just it just is a fact that Augustine is the first person to say that, um, whether it means anything or not. So I just deny this this claim that by definition, um, Trinitarians have to say that the one God is the Trinity instead of the Father. Um, and really, Dale sort of. Um, so I just want to say there's there's some orthodox forms of Trinitarianism that would identify God with the Father, and essentially. He kind of admits that in a sense because he'll he'll admit that Athanasius and Basil still identify God with the Father, but his response is just to say, okay, well then they just by definition count as Unitarian then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just think this raises some some deeper questions. Like for for me, so, I mean, certainly as an Orthodox Christian, like if Athanasius or Basil 
showed up to my church one Sunday, like if they were, you know, brought, brought back from the dead and came to church and they were, you know, took over the, the ambo and started preaching a sermon on the Trinity or something, whatever they say, people would just be like, okay, if <laughs> 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 you say so, right, that's what we'll believe about it. So it, it's just strange to me to think that they sort of wouldn't count as, as Trinitarian. Um, but anyway, um, I guess um, I'm not sure what, if, if you want me to talk maybe some about Dale's view or his narrative or if uh, if that's enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just interesting to me that he's making the claim that like everybody, you know, from before third century before is not a Trinitarian. They're all Unitarians. So, you know, Tertullian, yeah. people like that, those are Unitarians. Yeah. And well, that was you mentioned of, Athanasius being a Unitarian. I mean, I yeah, that's a pretty bold. Are, are people just like everybody's misunderstood every single person? <laughs> I mean, what's the claim here? Yeah, that, and that's part of what I criticize him for in my initial series of of screencasts that I did. That and he he rebroadcasted them as podcasts on his show. But like, basically, he has this paper about Tertullian. It's called Tertullian the Unitarian, where he argues that <laughs> Tertullian was really a Unitarian. And my point, one of the points that, that I wanted to make about that paper is like, he doesn't, th- there's nothing in that paper where he interprets Tertullian in any like new and different way. Like it's all just a pretty standard reading of, of Tertullian. Uh, and he just kind of applies his definitions of Unitarian and Trinitarian to that. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of turns out that he's Unitarian. Um, Skylar and I, maybe Skylar will talk about this more later, but, you know, we we did a series of screencasts together um, where we just said, you know, if you also take Tuggy's definitions of the word God and plug that into his definition of Unitarian, it really turns out that everybody was a Unitarian uh, up until the Protestant Reformation and even mostly afterwards, like, most Christians are all Unitarians. Like the Pope is a Unitarian. Martin Luther is probably Unitarian. Uh, I mean, so it, it seems to me like it's just kind of a problematic set of definitions. Yeah. Yeah. Skylar, do you got anything to add to that? No, I I think that there's probably more to say about Tuggy's Nicene development narrative and how successful that might be with got some more things to say about that so well then yeah just let's jump in that direction let's talk to the the nicene development narrative talk me through that can we back up one second i'm sorry so just can we before we do that because we've we've been talking about this and i want to make sure the listeners are able to keep up I do think we need to touch on, because we talked about his definitions of Unitarian and Trinitarian. I think we need to probably lay out. Lay those out, yeah. Yeah, how how does Tuggy define Unitarian and Trinitarian, and and how does that compare to maybe how more common definitions that we would have come across are? Right, so he defines Unitarianism, uh, Christian Unitarianism, as any theology that says there's exactly one God and that one God is identical to God the Father, okay. uh, and not to anybody else. Uh, and that, and he says that's eternally the case, or something like that. But basically, it's there's there's exactly one God, and that's the Father. Then Trinitarianism he defines as the view that there's exactly one God, and it's the Trinity, um, or it, there's exactly one God who includes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or is constituted by them, or he, he kind of leaves it a little bit vague so that you can sort of fit in different models of Trinitarianism there. Hmm. Um, I just define Unitarianism as the, the view that there's one God and one divine person. Um, and Trinitarianism is the view that there's one God and three divine persons. And it, mm-hmm. uh, to me, doesn't seem like it matters <laughs> what the you know sort of how you work that out and actually the the interesting thing is you can find similar definitions to mine in people like hodge or bb warfield or even like ryan mullins um uh, so lots of trinitarians actually when they 
when they want to kind of define broadly what would count as Trinitarian, they just say, hey, if you've got one God and three divine persons, however you work that out, you know, that should be, you know, broadly Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, he really thinks you you specifically have to have what I call an egalitarian view of the Trinity so that the it's the whole Trinity as a whole is God or all three persons. If you have like relative identity logic, all three persons are identical to God, but they're not to each other. Uh, and I've proposed a model of the Trinity I called monarchical Trinitarianism that just says, I mean, roughly, if if social Trinitarianism says that God is the whole Trinity, all three persons together, and relative identity Trinitarianism says the one God is each of the divine persons individually, uh, monarchical Trinitarianism just says that the one God is one of the divine persons. Um, so it says the the Son and the Spirit have the the divine usia; they have the divine nature, um, the same nature as the one God. Um, but what I'm doing is taking a, a cue from Gregory of Nyssa and Saint Basil and some earlier people who just deny that the word God means a being with the divine nature. They they say it it has a different meaning, and so uh, you can. You can have three divine persons and you're not going to have more than one God. So th- a, an easy analogy would be something like this, if you want to understand it. Like, suppose there's one king in Israel and it's King David. And then King David has a son, Solomon, and Solomon has the same nature, right? Because they're both mm-hmm. humans. But there's not more than one king. There's just, there's one king and there's two persons that have the same nature as the one king, right? So if you think that the word God means something really like um, uh, a first principle or the first cause, um, or even, you know, maybe like the ruler of the universe or something, um, you can just say, yeah, there's one of those and that's the father. (laughs) And then then he has a son and the son has the same nature, the same intrinsic nature. They're, They're qualitatively, you know, intrinsically just like each other. Um, but they have a different position in this kind of hierarchy, or they have different relations. Uh, so there's only one that you would call God in like a nominal sense, right? Like with the name God. So um, I just want to make sure I'm understanding it. So on that yeah. view, when when we're talking about the divine nature, yeah, is, would it be correct on that view to say that the divine nature is Trinitarian? Or, or no? Sure. Or I mean, that, if you just, or, you just mean like it's, uh, there are three um, individuals like that, who have that divine nature. But the but the nature itself, yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to, to, yeah. to, to, to think through. Yeah, so. I, I would say this. I, so I, my dissertation was on Gregory of Nyssa, and I think... Um, I think he just doesn't care because he believes in universal. I mean, he he thinks the divine nature is a universal. So uh, it's for him, it's not any different from Peter, James and John or, or whatever. Um, I do think a lot of other Trinitarian thinkers like think of the divine nature as a trope. Um, if I mean, I guess your audience is largely analytic philosophers, or at least to some extent. Some are are going to know what trope means. So so a trope just meaning like, um, the difference between a universal and a trope is just, you know, if you've got two white pieces of paper, like is is it the same color, white? That's a universal. Um, If you say, well, there's the whiteness of this paper and there's the whiteness in this other piece of paper, uh, you'd be thinking about the whiteness as a trope. A trope is just like an individual property instance, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a, a lot. So, one way that people a lot of times gloss trope theory is is they say, okay, like I just did, the whiteness of this paper, whiteness of that paper. But there's one sort of version of trope theory where you would say tropes are not really individuated by the things that have them, but by spatial separation. Uh, and so if you think that the persons of the Trinity are not spatially separated, then even if they just, even if there's just one trope, they could have three, you could have three individuals that have the same trope of divinity. So anyway, some, some thinkers, I think, have something like that going on. Um, 
and and in that case you you get I mean, it's kind of a you know trinitarian maybe what you would normally think of as trinitarian sort of picture um yeah. um i and i think you can you can do things that way or you could do things with universals um so, so I, i'm trying to understand here cuz i'm yeah. as i'm thinking through your view it, it seems that if if i were to take that as true the vast majority uh, of christians would probably not fall into this understanding um cuz i think they mm-hmm. think of god not as like a technical term for the father but as the divine nature um i i don't know about that um i mean so for for one thing certainly everyone prior to the reformation and and most most of them afterwards do think of the father as the source Hmm. um i mean so most christians have thought of the the father as the kind of the first cause if you want to say that the uncaused cause um so the question really i think comes down more to a question of like semantics um, which i think a lot of people for some reason people i've talked to about this seem reluctant to want to say that um, like semantics is a dirty word or something. But I, I think that what, what it really does boil down to is that there's been a change in the way that the word God is used. Uh, and so in the new Testament and in the pre Nicene fathers and in Basil and, uh, and some of the other fourth century authors, um, you still have this use of, of, the nominal sense of God as just kind of referring to the father and meaning the first cause or the first principle or whatever. Uh, and I think it shifts during the fourth century and afterwards to, to start referring to the nature. Yeah. So help me understand. So Mm -hmm. in the second London Baptist confession of faith, it defines the Trinity as in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the father, the Son and the Spirit of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes on, you know, the Father is of none, the Son is eternally begotten, etc. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's that's an apt description, or would you say, I want I don't want to tweak some stuff, or yeah. are you understanding <laughs> it differently than that? Well, here's here's what I would say. So you get this in John of Damascus explicitly, and then later Thomas Aquinas kind of takes this from John of Damascus, that John of Damascus says, look, you can use the word God in two different ways. Uh, So in one sense, it refers to a person. And then in a different sense, it refers to a nature. So think about things like how the Bible would say, like, what is man that you are mindful of him? Mm -hmm. It's not talking about an individual man that is really super important (laughs) or like the lion will lay down, you know, will eat straw like the ox. It's not a particular lion that it's talking about. It's talking about the whole nature or the whole species. Right. Mm -hmm. And you get talk like this with Hezekiah. I think it is. It says, you know, you are, that will translate it like thou art man and not God, but it's literally thou art Adam and not L. Um, And, Again, that's just to predicate a certain nature of him, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that you get this shift to where it becomes more common uh, for people to start using the word God to to kind of talk about the nature. Uh, And in Aquinas in particular, he not only says you can use it in two different ways, but he kind of has this view that's like the default when you're using the word God is to the nature, Whereas the default with the word man is like to a person. Um, so I just think what what happens is it, I think that in the West that becomes super common. It just becomes the standard that when we're talking about God, we're talking about the divine nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that happens in the East, but I think it happens more slowly Um it kind of catches on more gradually. And you still see, like I said, you know, very late in the game, you still see people referring to the father as the one God. That's interesting. In fact, the, one of the things I point out is that the great, the root of the great schism that people always think this is really hard to understand the filioque, but the root of it is that, that our St. Photius says uh, you really do have two gods. If you have two sources in the Trinity. 
Now, whether now most Western Christians say well, that's not really what we mean when we say yeah. that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. I don't think of the Son as like an ultimate source or whatever. But whether he understood that correctly or not, his his point was if you start saying that the Son is the source of the Holy Spirit, that actually is polytheism. Hmm. Uh, and so that shows you that even up until the time of the Great Schism in the East, the idea of the one God as the Father is still kind of the central principle. Hmm. Well, I, I have a I have a follow up, but I'll yeah. save that for, <laughs> for later. A question just for clarification for my, maybe I'm just slow to come around on this, but, uh, all right, Skylar, you wanted to talk about, um, the Nicene development narrative that, that Tuggy, um, put forth. So basically I think a large part of his claim is that, that, um, the, the Nicene creed is, is Unitarian. And then in 381, um, we have this shift, where it's corrupted. So um, I'm assuming that's what you want to talk about, but if I'm going in the wrong direction, then you just go wherever you want to go. But um, that's what you wanted to chat about. So let's, let's move in that direction. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure there's some things that Bo will want to say on this too, but so this is a, a historical narrative that's being offered to us. And um, we're talking about his, his recent paper in Theologica, um, which he discussed with you guys a little bit. And there's a couple of things that we want to consider when we're talking about a historical narrative and, and whether it's successful or not. And, you know, Tuggy is, is offering both of those here, and that's what we'll hopefully evaluate a little bit. We want to have a motive for this, the sort of story that we're telling. How did it get this way and, and that sort of thing? And then we also want the textual evidence. We want to see in the sources from the time period, you know, evidence for for the narrative. What I'll probably focus on here um, is is the motive, and the motive comes down to basically Saint Basil's Trinitarian theology. He says being incoherent, but that's because um, it it actually ends up being tritheistic. So the reason that I think that, that that doesn't really work though, is based off of his, his own definitions and particularly the, the definition, definition of the word God in his paper on counting gods. And actually that's another paper that's open access and available in an earlier, um, theologica mm -hmm. issue. So um, that's a paper that listeners might want to check out here, but basically, so in that paper, the, let's just say it like this. So S is a God, if, and only if S is an ultimate deity. So that's his view of, of what God is or the, or the God of monotheism ends up being. So we've used two terms there and he uses those. So ultimate and deity. Well, a deity is what he says is a self, something that's more powerful than an ordinary human being. Um, but it's got to be with actions that we actually care about. Like, we wouldn't care if there was some supposed deity that could make like the perfectly warm hot pocket or something like that. Like, that's just not something a lot of people are really going to care about. Right. So. Um, and then the third condition is that it has to have supernatural power. So those three conditions make something a deity. Now, to be the god of monotheism, it needs to be an ultimate deity. And what he says is an ultimate roughly is, I mean, he says is the farthest back being. One way that I would put it is that to which there's no explanatory priority. So there's not something behind this deity that explains it its existence or anything like that. And one way that we can put this and actually Bo and I have, have put in a series of presentations that we've done is that God is the sole ase deity. Now, what's really important about that, I think is looking at some other sources. St. Basil makes statements to the effect that the father is the sole ase deity. And if that's the case, it turns out that for him, for him, 
there's there's only one God and that tritheism is false. And if that's the case, we no longer have the motive for Tuggy's narrative. So um, I can just mention a couple that I think are, are pretty important things to, to recognize when we're reason, uh, reading St. Basil. I mean, the first thing is that the homoousion, the idea that the, you know, this, the son and the spirit have the yeah. same nature as the father, for him, it entails a causal order. And he says this in one of his letters, in letter 52. Um, he says that um, when, maybe I should skip over that and maybe we should edit that a little bit, but let me try and find this. Um, so yeah. while you're finding it, um, you mentioned the father is the only assay being is it not part of what it means to be divine to be Yase or 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 should i think about that differently because i i think calvin would say the son is Yase. well interestingly uh, well. calvin is the first person to uh to say that the son hmm. was Yase and was alto theos um Prior to that, people always kind of re reserved the uh, the word autotheos for the father. And he got into all kinds of trouble. There's a whole book about the autothean controversy and so forth. Um, but it, I, I'm i not a Calvin scholar, but I have friends who are and who I've talked to with this about. And uh, I, I'm pretty convinced that really, ultimately, he just was kind of using that terminology to say the same thing that a lot of medieval Western theologians had already said, which is that the Son and the Spirit are not hypostatically or personally ase, but they have a nature that is ase. So again, if you think of the nature as a trope, right, tropes can come into existence and go out of existence, unlike universals. Um, and so if you think, well, the Son and the Spirit just have the same nature as the Father, when they have a nature that's ase, but they themselves as persons have a cause. And that was a pretty common distinction to make in the Middle Ages to say, okay, well, they have a, they're essentially Asse, but they're personally not Asse. Um, so help me understand what that means, because in my brain right now, that yeah. doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, um, so this is all timeless causation, right? Mm -hmm. So you're tr thinking of it as kind of timelessly being caused, but the father timelessly causes the son to exist and to have his own trope of divinity. But the trope, like his trope of divinity doesn't have a cause because it's his, right? It's the father's. Mm -hmm. So it's uncaused, but the, so the son as a person has a cause, which is the father, but his trope of divinity wouldn't have a cause because it just literally is numerically identical to the father's. It's just the same as the father. Whereas like your son's trope of humanity came into existence, right? You, you caused your son to come into existence and you caused his trope of humanity to come into existence at the same time. Right. That makes sense. That I think that, yeah, I think that gets at what I was asking about earlier about the, is the, the nature divine nature Trinitarian? Trinitarian. Yeah. yeah. So you would yeah. say no. Uh, right. I don't know. I mean, does that not sound Trinitarian? Well, no, because <laughs> you, you, I, I guess what I'm, you, it seems like what you're describing is that you have a divine, and this may just be my misunderstanding, so forgive mm -hmm. me if it is, that you have a divine nature, and then it's like the, the, the Son and the Spirit are participating in that nature eternally, of course, mm -hmm. but, but the nature itself, like the stuff of the of the nature mm -hmm. is not trinitarian like you know what i'm saying like so it's it's it seems like it would be because it's equally shared it's had in the same way by all three but there's something there's something that's true of the of the father right uh -huh. that that's not true of the son and the spirit Oh yeah, yeah. But okay, but that's not but relating to his person, not to his nature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I th I think I mean I, I don't know how familiar you are with Edward Jonathan Edwards. Um, I don't remember reading his stuff, and his understanding of the Trinity seems to be 
really psychological, um, mm-hmm. you know, where the son is God's own idea of himself and the spirit is this yeah, right, right. loving relation that goes between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I think about that, that seems to have a very hierarchical, you know, the father is yeah, the, a causal, the source. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, I think that's what Augustine is trying to even do with the psychological analogy. A lot of people try to make it into like modalism, but it, it seems like the if you read the context, it seems like the reason that he was doing that is to try to find something where like nothing is temporally prior to anything else, but there is a kind of causal ordering and uh, and also where you have three things doing the same activities, kind of participating in the same activities. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I guess, I mean, obviously... Anytime we talk about the Trinity, my, my head starts to hurt. And I think <laughs> part, part of it is just because, well, you know, I would expect that God would be challenging yeah. to understand and that yeah, if I'm a finite human being, I wouldn't be able to understand everything. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, when I talked to Dale Tuggy, it seemed more like, you know, if you can't understand it, then there's a problem. Um, and they, Yeah, I, I find that a strange notion. I mean, it seems like it. I, I'm not sure I understand like quantum physics or string theory or these things. So I'm not sure why I would come to the table just expecting that the guy who created quantum physics is going to be really easy to figure out and get yeah. my head around. Like, I, it just doesn't seem like it should be. I mean, from all the easy. people who've talked to me, because I, I said something on Twitter and, and Dale got replied to me and, and there was mm-hmm. a bunch of people replying to stuff and and the main argument seemed to be um wouldn't you think that something this central to who god is uh he would reveal in clear terminology and so they're like because trinity is not in the bible uh therefore it's pretty clear that he didn't want to reveal that and so he's not a tr- there's no trinity yeah well that gets into the whole other uh thing i think maybe at some point you wanted to talk about which is kind of what's the role of tradition and the Bible and all this sort of thing, which I think is super problematic. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that. I'll just throw this out there. I mean, one, one thing that I think a detail that people I think are not aware of that makes it super problematic in this case is that there are canons of scripture that do include books that explicitly talk about the Trinity and explicitly endorse it. So the Ethiopian Bible, you know, they they have what they call the the narrow canon and the broad canon of the New Testament. Um, m- most of the the broad canon material has just never been translated into English, so you can't really get get access to it unless you know Ge'ez or whatever, however you even pronounce it. But anyway, it I mean, I talked about this in my dissertation at one point. I mean, it's clear that it talks about the Trinity and explicitly endorses it. So it raises a question. I mean, it's like why your canon of scripture instead of their canon of scripture, for one thing, um, which canon of scripture are we supposed to be reading? So like the, the Orthodox canon of scripture is a little bit different from the Catholic. And that's a little bit different from the Protestant and the, the Ethiopians a little bit different than Nestorians. I mean, you know, they're, there's all these different canons of scripture and they're not hugely different, but in some cases they're different enough that it matters. And this is one of those cases. And one thing that's ironic to me is that the doctrine of the Trinity is actually more widely accepted um, among Christians than, um, than any one particular canon of scripture. Yeah, so that's interesting. And and one thing I wanted to get back to and make sure to touch on is I know Skylar and I had talked a little bit about um, the Asse concept and how the father might be the sole Asse being and how Richard Muller uh, had some input and comments on this. So Skylar, why don't you talk to those Richard Muller comments? Because uh, I think a good chunk of our listeners are going to think Richard Muller is kind of the, I don't know, the, the super. I don't want to say superior being, <laughs> that doesn't sound right, uh, but he's kind of like the standard when it comes to reform thinking, uh, especially on the Trinity. You know, he's got his big post-reformation reform dogmatics and all this. So he is really the standard bearer, I think, on a lot of this. And you had mentioned some quotes and stuff to kind of talk about this issue. So I think that would be really interesting to touch on. So just to 
calm maybe some nerves that I've I've raised with the listeners here, um, and and some of the things that we've been talking about. Now, when I said that Bo and I have glossed Tuggy's concept of an ultimate deity as a soul Ase deity, that's going to map onto what. Richard Muller discusses in his dictionary and in the post-Reformation Reformed Dogmatics, particularly in volume four, that has to do with what he calls aseitas personalis. So just so I can maybe diffuse some of that, I want to read just a little bit from, from Muller's Dictionary of Latin and Greek Theological Terms. And this is uh, pages 41 and 42. He says, the Reformed Orthodox define the consubstantiality of the Son and the Spirit with the Father as the essential aseitas of each of the three persons. In this definition, they distinguish between aseitas personalis and aseitas essentialis. The former term, personal aseity, involves a Trinitarian error. And the latter term, essential aseity, interprets homoousius correctly. Thus, insofar as the deitas, or divinity of the Son and Spirit, is communicated, which is to say, insofar as they are persons in relation to the Father, they are not ase, but a patre, from the Father. So what he's saying here is once you make that distinction between personal aseity, you could say maybe hypostatic aseity and essential aseity when you're talking about the son and the spirit even in the reformed orthodox um, in the sense of personal aseity the son do not have that because they are from the father or what he says is a patre so when we're glossing what tuggy saying is the sole ase deity when we're saying ase there we're talking about personal aseity right so hopefully that sort of distinction mm-hmm. and what's going on around, you know, that time period will will help a little bit here. Mm-hmm. So do we have any follow up on that or do we want well, to talk some more about basil or. Yeah, I was going to say just, I mean, to kind of sum up the, the point is there's a, a part in Tuggy's paper where he says that basil just gave a number of ineffective responses uh, he floundered around, I think, is how he put it in the podcast. And he doesn't give any actual discussion of like what Basil's actual response was. But if you go and look at Basil, what Basil says is there's only one God because there's only one Father. And he says that in multiple different works and different passages. And he says whoever introduces two first principles would have two gods, but we just have one God because we just have one father. And yeah. so if you look, I mean, if you look at what he actually says, and then you map that onto Dale's definitions, it looks like, well, actually he's, he's not tritheistic. He actually does just have one God and it is just the father. And again, I mean, to bring it back to my issues, I mean, who's going to say that St. Basil's Trinitarian theology is not Orthodox. Um, right. So, so I'll, I want to talk mm-hmm. again on this aseity thing because I've got an email chain. Our friend, my friend Corby yeah, Amos, yeah. I, I imagine, I know yeah. you probably have corresponded with him because, you know, he loves all things Trinity and he like emails everybody yeah. and gets all these really interesting responses. So he was talking about this essential aseity contrasted with a hypostatic mm-hmm. aseity uh, with Nathan Jacobs, who uh, yeah. might be coming on the podcast soon. Uh, so I can talk to him a little bit about it, but I'm curious from your standpoint, Nathan basically said the Eastern fathers do not believe the divine essence exists. I say, um, so there's no such thing as essential aseity. Uh, this means the father ex- exists. I say, and the divine nature subsists in the father. So there's no essential aseity. Is Is that what you guys are saying? Or, or you disagree with that? I'd hate to disagree with Nathan on, <laughs> on much. Um, <laughs> um I know him. I I respect him a lot. So um, I don't know. I mean, I can't say that I'm uh, aware actually of that distinction, like in the Cappadocians that I that I know. So he mentioned uh, Basil's Epistle 38. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not a Basil scholar. I mean, I've got some of the stuff that I've read, but (laughs) uh, 
I have no idea if that's a legitimate distinction well, or not. Um, I'm certainly aware of Epistle 38, um, although it's actually Gregory of Nyssa uh, who wrote it. But um, yeah, I'm not, I can't think off the top of my head of, of a passage in that epistle that makes that distinction. No, that's, yeah. that's fair. And I know this was out of left field. It just, you guys were, you guys were talking about it and just made me think of it. So I figured I'd throw it out there. So, so no, no worries. To I guess my my overall feel is that it doesn't seem like that distinction is super important in Orthodox theology. Like I don't hear it being made a lot. Um, um, I know. Jordan, do you want to, you want to go ahead and ask your question about. Yeah. So hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So it seems on this understanding of the Trinity, that there seems to be a much stronger hierarchy, mm-hmm. whereas on a Western model, there's much more egalitarian nature mm-hmm. where it's really flat and everybody's mm-hmm. the same. But it seems like this, you have the father who's the clear unoriginate source mm-hmm. um, and then the son and then the spirit. Uh, does that mean that there is an unalterable hierarchy of some sort where maybe the son's subordinate to the father in some mm-hmm. some way, or does that not mean that? I would certainly say um, there is a clear, unalterable hierarchy of some sort. Um, Whether you want to talk about uh, like subordination or submission or obedience or things like that, um, that that maybe gets a little bit trickier. What's what's obviously clear is causation. Right. So there's clearly a causal uh, hierarchy, although we have to understand this in a, in a non-temporal, you know, non-physical sort of way. Um, the difficulty I guess I have with, um, talk about things like submission and obedience and so forth is that traditionally, clearly the Trinity just has one will. Um, and in fact, they share all of their, uh, in the West, people will say their, their operations odd extra, uh, in the East, the term is energies, energiae. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, willing is an operation or an energy. So it's something that they they do. So it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, if you have two persons with the same will, um, like literally the numerically the same faculty of willing, so they couldn't possibly, you know, choose differently or something like that, at least not in their divine will. Uh, it's hard to to know exactly. I mean, for me, it's hard to say like what what would obedience mean um, or subordination. Yeah. What would it mean if they just kind of had the same will? Yeah. No, that's fair. That makes sense. I mean, I, all this is super interesting to me. I, I, maybe do do you have any like just off the cuff sociological mm-hmm. reason for why um, this more Eastern view is not mm-hmm. as popular? Um, at least maybe just in our own context in America, Protestant yeah. or not Protestant? I, it's it's a good question. Um, what, by the way, it r- reminds me, I did an interview and I need to edit it and put it out with uh, with Sam Waldron. I don't know if you know of, of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I consider him a friend. Um, you should you should have That's him awesome. on sometime because he, he can talk about that. He loves the monarchy of the father. Um Oh, yeah, he really? yeah, and he's well, a very, crazy. I mean, you know, he's he's as Baptist as they, you know, they come. <laughs> I was going to say about 50% of our listeners, yeah. I mean, they, they love Sam Alder. Is that right? They love yeah. all those guys. Oh, yeah. So this, yeah. this you're like throwing out red oh, meat yeah, to some yeah. of our listeners right now. This is, <laughs> well, this he's, is great. Yeah, he's, he's great. And, um, I mean, he'd probably more, know more about kind of the sociology of what's going on among Protestants. So I know there's a whole, you know, issue of, of kind of egalitarian and complementarian you know, debates, yeah, and whatever, yeah. which he actually made it helped me to understand what that was all even about. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I think that these two traditions have kind of drifted, um, uh, apart in some ways, um, in, in a lot of ways, I think there's probably more overlap than at first meets the eye and some of this is, is more terminological. My thing is is this, that I I think what has happened is that the West historically kind of gravitated to this usage of the word God to talk about the nature instead of a person. 
But then also in the mm-hmm. West, we've had a kind of revolution in language, if you think about it, during the kind of early modern period where, especially with the rise of nominalism and stuff, we sort of think more about particulars now uh, and and use language more to refer primarily to particulars than to properties and universals and natures and things like that. And so nowadays, I think the common person just, I mean, when they think of the word God, they're thinking of a person. And so then when they go and they read like traditional Trinitarian theology, at least Western kind of Trinitarian theology, there's just this disconnect. I think you see that in in Dale Tuggy's work. Like he just kind of assumes, of course, the word God refers to a person. And then you go back and read medievals and they're using the word God to talk about a nature. And he just thinks this just doesn't make sense. And I don't think it really occurs to him that there's really like a, a linguistic issue going on. There's just kind of an equivocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's become confusing for people because of that. Yeah, no, it definitely has. <laughs> um, and one thing I definitely wanted to get to before we wrap mm-hmm. up, um, me and Brandon were texting about the interview beforehand, and he mentioned just a question that I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and that is, do you think the Western view can be salvaged mm-hmm. Uh, from the critiques that Dale Tuggy makes towards mm-hmm. uh, the Trinity? Uh, or is the Eastern view really the, the only way to, to hold on to the Trinity? Yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I don't even really know whether to put it in terms of an Eastern and Western view. I mean, I I think I kind of yeah, did yeah. put it in those terms, I guess, in my in my initial series of podcasts and stuff, which maybe I shouldn't have. But it's... Um, I guess I'll say that, I mean, it's very clear that there's a kind of verbal development uh, over time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's less clear to me and it becomes less clear over time to me, I guess, like to what extent that's a substantive disagreement and and to what extent it's not. I I do think this, I mean, the, the substance of Dale's critique is just kind of in the New Testament, the word God refers to the father. And so if, if he could make the case that sort of like, it would be impossible to formulate Trinitarianism without calling the Trinity, the one God, uh, it would just be impossible to like formulate a doctrine of the Trinity where you call the father God. Um, If he could make that case, then I think that would be a pretty devastating case against Trinitarianism. Uh, but I think the only way that you can make that case is really to kind of insist that all forms of Trinitarian must of Trinitarianism must be absolutely egalitarian so that it wouldn't make sense to apply the word God to the Father because there'd be nothing really there there'd be no rationale behind it, right? Um yeah. but the the problem is that the vast majority of Western Christians historically have actually agreed with the East that the Father is the source of the Son and the Spirit. And so there there automatically is a rationale for that. Um, uh, so I, I just don't think it's as big of a problem as he seems to think. And Aquinas seems to agree with that, by the way, yeah. in the Summa. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had thought of it, I would have pulled it up. But, I mean, he says that in the West, they they prefer to speak of the father as the principium and the reason that they don't call the father the the cause is because in latin it has um uh chronological connotations like causation happens in time but he said he says that they don't disagree with the greeks on that point they just prefer to say that the father is the principium rather than the cause which would Mm -hmm. come over in greek as the idea And this is also interesting. What, what resources do you think are the must-haves on this? I mean, Bo, you've got a dissertation well, out on yeah. that. I don't think it's in book form. Is it going to be in book form? Uh, maybe someday. Not, not Probably not soon. I, yeah, I have a dissertation uh, that really focuses more on, on kind of the tritheism objection and the, the inseparable operations or energies. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a paper on the monarchy of the father on my website, and then also some video presentations on the monarchy of the father. Um, 
Yeah, I, sometimes people ask me this, and I, it's, unfortunately, I don't really know of like one good just book about the Trinity. Um, it's like you kind of have to go and dig through a lot of different sources. John Bear, I think his his stuff on the the way to Nicaea and the Nicene faith, those are good um, good introductions. What do you think about Lewis? Yeah, Ayers? I like Lewis Ayers too. I mean, um, he's he's more obviously sort of pro Augustine, but I actually don't disagree with him that. I mean, I, I, I increasingly think that Augustine is closer to the Cappadocians. I do think there's some critical differences, but I think he's closer to the Cappadocians than people have traditionally read him. Um, but yeah, I like Michelle Barnes. Uh, all of his stuff is, is good stuff. Brandon. And, and any, uh, uh, Andrew Radigalwitz, who we had actually write a paper responding oh. to Dale Tuggy and Mark Del Cogliano, uh, whose stuff on Basil on on proper names and so forth is really good. So, yeah, I I'm I'm not uh, a lot of this is is pretty overwhelming. I mean, there there's a lot of material. There's a lot of places that you can go, and honestly, you could probably get lost in secondary literature. What I thought was really oh, yeah. important and what was really helpful is when I started taking the the divine procession seriously and then just like really reading the primary sources. Um, I mean, that's probably something everybody says, but I mean, one thing in particular, one book that I think is is important. There's a um, popular patristics book that contains a number of homilies that basil of caesarea gave um on christian doctrine and practice and that's actually where there's a number of quotes in there i was gonna um pull out to respond to tuggy but that's a really good resource to understand basil's trinitarian theology and andrew radigalwitz Mm -hmm. also has uh, a monograph on on basil's uh, Mm -hmm. himself which is is really good but as I say, just taking, you know, eternal generation and the spiration or procession of the spirit seriously. And then, and looking at these sources, like even like going back and reading the Summa and seeing what he says about the Principium, um, what Augustine says there too. I found some really interesting stuff in, um, in a book, um, a fathers of the church book called the 83 different questions. And he definitely uses the word God, sometimes as a primary reference to the father, like saying God is the cause of his own wisdom and stuff like that. And it's very clear that Mm -hmm. he's referring to the father and that, that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to do and I have a lot more work to do myself to be quite honest with you, but those are a couple of things that I, I found really helpful is, is, um, maybe finding some really good secondary sources and then really just like taking, up seriously from those time periods and just really digging into the primary sources. That's awesome. Brandon, did you have any follow-up questions that you wanted to? I've asked enough dumb questions <laughs> for one episode, so I'll <laughs> leave it there. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I feel like I, I could probably go a, a lot longer, but I think, um, there's, there's two reasons to wrap up. Number one, um, I, I want to stay true to our, our, time, our average timeline. And number two, yeah. um, for those who have been listening, I've got my son in my lap right now. He's been silent this whole time, which has been uh, a true miracle. And it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's 9.48 at night. He just had a, a rough night and he's sitting here. So he's this is his first podcast episode. I'll give him, <laughs> give him the mic next time. Um, that said, I think this has been really helpful. You both are really knowledgeable and awesome. So I, I encourage everybody who's been listening. Bo, you've got a website, Yeah, it's right? just bobranson.com. That's uh, B-E-A-U-B-R-A-N-S-O-N.com. You can go find my research page, and there's a page on the Monarchy of the Father, too. Yeah. Awesome. Hmm. And then, Skylar, you've got a website, Yeah, it's too, just right? my first and last name, Skylar, S-K-Y-L-A-R, McManus.com. And I've been blogging a bit less because I've been – reading primary material for months now so (laughs) So, yeah that's fair so everybody's been listening go check out their stuff i think it's all really interesting and helpful um i know we didn't the point of this was more 
I think to understand the Eastern or I guess quote unquote Eastern mm. view, I feel like it's hard to figure out what to call it because you want to call it Eastern, but at the same time, you don't want to like exaggerate yeah, this yeah. massive difference or something like that. Um, but then to talk a little bit about Tuggy stuff, cause I know you guys have interacted with him a lot and we had him mm. on and, um, yeah, so I mean, I think Unitarianism is wrong, um, more more wrong than most. Of the, like, we have different people on the podcast talk about different things, different viewpoints, um, and I think Unitarianism is probably the farthest uh, yeah. we've gone yeah. on <laughs> having on before. So, um, but we want to have we want to construct a culture that is conducive to yeah. charity and to to curiosity and things. So that's why we do those things. So listeners go check that out go check this out check out their sources uh or their websites um i think it's all really helpful and for everybody who's been tuning in uh thanks and we encourage you to keep on listening to all the episodes i know i didn't mention it we did one with glenn butner you can go listen to on the trinity uh so i guess classical western for lack of a better term uh understanding the trinity so we got i think three episodes here we might have one with nathan jacobs you guys can check out and uh, I think it'll be really helpful and interesting. So uh, you've been listening to the only Analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet. And we thank you for tuning in. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big-